today I'm going to be preaching on forgiving, forgiving. And we're talking all about uh, basically what Jesus taught and preached his followers. If we're going to say we're Christian, then we have to represent Christ, amen? And so I want to talk about forgiving today, and um, this is one of the more challenging things I feel like as a pastor, as a preacher, to preach on. And the reason is not, it's not because I feel like everyone struggles with forgiveness. I feel like generally the people that I come in contact with, that I meet, uh, we're pretty, often we're graceful people. Um, but even in saying that, there's something always in every one of our lives, and that includes me, so I'm talking about myself, that there's some deep pain point that is something that I've had to wrestle with in forgiving. And I wish that I could stand here and tell you, uh, easily say that there's uh, nothing probably in, in my life that I need to forgive someone of. But what I found and what I mean by one of the harder things to preach on is that the, the deeper I dig into it and the deeper I dig into my own life, I find there are places where I've forgiven, but I still struggle with maintaining that forgiveness. Has anybody ever dealt with something that just kind of comes back up, just shows back up to the surface? And you, you have to do kind of a mental note and say, you know, I dealt with that already. That's kind of what, what I'm talking about. For many years, uh, our family, we were very fortunate to travel and do ministry in various churches. And during that time, that season of travel, it was about seven years, um, our, our, um, our son was young, and our family, we would go to these churches, and, and oftentimes they would put us in in um, uh, hotels, or they would put us up in, in some very nice accommodations, and sometimes it was a home that often the church, an older church, a lot of times back in the 50s, 60s, they would have parsonages, and they would set up the parsonage to be the place to put the missionary or the evangelist or traveling minister, and uh, or they would have an apartment. My father-in-law, his church has an apartment in their, their church that's on the top floor, not far from kind of the fellowship area and, and things like that. So we were in a particular city and we were, we were having this revival. We got in late this particular night uh, because we had to drive such a great distance. It was in Texas. We were going to a place in Texas and Texas is huge. I don't know if you've ever driven across Texas, but Texas, Texas is astounding how big it is. And so we were on our way. We got in late and, um, as we got in late, the thing that we would do is, is Shelly would take Wyatt and get him up already comfortable into the place we were staying, and, and I would start unloading the bags and getting things out and getting us kind of settled. And she, she was mainly trying to keep, you know, a kid who had been pent up in the car out of my way so that we could hurry and get everything in. And so in this particular place we were staying, it was, a, it was an apartment in the church, and Wyatt was sitting on the couch, and we walked in, we looked, and it was very, very nice. Well-kept, clean, beautiful. Uh, the things you hope for whenever you go somewhere where someone says, we're putting you here. 
And so I'm unloading the car, and as we unloaded, Wyatt, sitting on the couch and, and doing his thing, uh, he just kind of started sticking his hand down into the couch and feeling around in between the couch cushions. And Shelly saw him pull something out, and he pulled it out from between the couch cushions, and he held it up, and he was looking at it, and it was a large bug. And so it, it was hidden there in the couch, and whoever had cleaned just had not thought about going through and, and pulling the cushions off the couch and cleaning, which, let's admit it, in our homes, we probably don't do that every time we clean. Uh, we've probably found some coinage in the couch and different things like that. But it was kind of this thing, it was kind of funny, because I heard Shelly scream, and she slapped it, <laughs> slapped it out of his hand. Uh, she has a strong reaction to bugs. And uh, it was kind of funny, and it is very funny now looking back, but it starts, you know, in that moment, you start to question, okay, how clean is this place? And it was very clean, just somebody had not been super thorough. Um, thinking about that couch, though, and about forgiveness, every one of us in this room probably have some things that are in between the couch cushions of our life that we've never really pulled up and dealt with because it's painful. It's, it's, it's not easy to deal with the hurts that life gives us or that comes from people, things that happen in our life. And I'm saying that uh, from a very honest and open position in my own life. There are things, if you got close enough to me and, and, and got deep into my life and were able to see the thoughts in my own head, sometimes there are things that are deep down beneath the cushions of my life. There's a mess. And deep inside of every person, this is what I have come to understand. There's a hurt. There's a pain. Your closest friends may not even know about it. The people that you're closest to, your spouse who lays nightly beside you in bed, may not know. But there is something in the cushions of life. Many of us are not free, and we're not free because we're held captive to the past. It's like an old couch that we just can't get rid of, and there in the cushions, at some point it comes to the surface, and we keep reliving the mess over and over again. And if you don't get anything else out of what I'm going to say today, I want you to understand this. If you can't let go of the past, you'll never be able to grab a hold of your future. If you can't let go of the past, you'll never be able to grab a hold of the future. So I want to deal with the couch cushion things of life today. And listen, if, if you're a Jesus follower, if you call yourself a Christian, I want you to listen to what I am about to say. I want you to understand, Jesus did not 
die on a cross, suffer a brutal death, and then rise from the dead so that you and I could live the rest of our lives to the slave as slaves to something that is deep in our life. He did not die for that purpose. And not forgiving is like having something that is dead in your couch cushion that you didn't know was there because it's been too long since you've pulled the cushion back and took an honest look. And so I'm asking each of us today that today or sometime during this week that you take the couch cushion of your life and you pull it out and you look at some things that maybe have hurt you, have wounded you, that have salted your life, and maybe, just maybe, it's time to address it again and work toward fully forgiving and letting go of that thing. Luke 6, 37 through 38, the Lord said this. He said, judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now this is a very hard saying. Judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. It's amazing how many people know that scripture saying and it just rolls off their tongue. Judge not, you shall not be judged. Judge not. And he's not talking about judgment in heaven. The Lord is talking about judgment within interpersonal relationships. If, you, if, if, I, if I don't take time and spend all of my time judging Layla about her life, Jay, then Layla will not take her time to spend judging me about my life. He's saying judge so that you'll be not judged. Condemn not so you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Because it seems like the people who are the quickest to forgive, and it's amazing what forgiveness will do. It's amazing what an apology will do. And the next thing he follows it up with, and it's one of the favorite quotes of every preacher, give and it will be given to you. It's often tied to uh, offering time. I use it myself sometimes. I do believe the principle holds true, Except that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in the context of judging, the context of condemning, the context of forgiving. For instance, if you're home, if you feel like your home has a lot of yelling going on, you might want to ask yourself who started the yelling. Because if we're yelling at each other, if you yell at me, Joel, if, if Joel yells at me, my tendency is to respond right back at that same vocal level, right? It's, <laughs> it's, the, it's kind of the, the thing. Like you can come in contact with a person. How many of you have ever had this happen? You go into a restaurant or you go into a fast food chain or something, and the person behind that's taking your order or the person you interact with, they're just sour. It's like for a moment you're like, why are you being like that to me? But then what happens? The switch flips and you're sour right back. And you walk away kind of carrying that sour with you. Why? Because it is a natural thing that we automatically respond in kind. 
And that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, if, you, if you're going to give judging, you're going to get judging back. If you're going to condemn, you're going to get condemning back. But if you'll forgive, you'll get forgiveness back. Give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Whatever I do to you, you're, you're going to turn in kind. It's just a natural human response to just respond in kind with the same measure of force and everything else. We trade blows. That's what we do. We hit back. And the Lord is saying, if, if you'll lean in toward forgiveness and not fall in to that cyclical trap of doing the exact same thing back to the person that had done it to you, you'll be free. It'll be given back to you. C.S. Lewis observed about forgiveness. He said, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. We love forgiveness until something's been done to us and then it's not nearly as beautiful a word. Forgiving is hard. Let's just put that out in the open. There are a lot of things, and I like to think of myself as someone who I'm, I'm pretty easy. I get a, try and get along with everyone. I was not always this way, believe me. Uh, I was not always this way. I try and get along with everyone. I try not to hold things if someone says something that uh, you don't know how you could take it. I try and just let it roll off. My dad would say, like, water off of a duck's back. You just let it roll. Let it go. I, I try and live that. But I also understand that there are certain things that have been done to me that I wrestle with forgiving. I wrestle with forgetting about that and letting go of that. So forgiveness, and I'm not talking about the easy forgiveness, I'm talking about the hard forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard. When someone has truly wronged you, forgiving them is hard. It's almost, I would even go to the point of saying it's very unnatural to forgive. But notice what Jesus taught, and he didn't just say this one time, but over and over he would talk about forgiveness. To his disciples, when they asked, how do we pray in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, he said, when you're praying, I want you to include this in your prayer Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And let's talk about the power of forgiveness. But to understand the power of forgiveness, we have to talk about the power of unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness has a power itself. And so I want to give you... Uh, a few examples, five examples of the power of unforgiveness, keeping in mind, understanding what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6 and 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When I do not forgive, the truth is, it's because I feel like I'm owed something. I'm owed something. They wronged me and they owe me. And we, when we are owed, that is called a debt. Someone owes me a debt. 
we never think about how many people in the context of forgiveness, how many people do I owe the debt to? It's usually only about who owes me. Holding someone's debt has this allure to it because there's a power there. And debt is power. There's power in having something to hold over another person's head. Now, how many of us will admit that we've done this? I have a brother, I have a younger brother, and we would get into it, and we'd start fighting and arguing, and I'd say, well, you did this. You know, you broke my Nintendo controller when we were seven, and we are like 17, you know. It's been 10 years. They've come out with new technology. I'm still holding on to that. It's, there's this allure and this power to be able to just grab something. I still have this ticket. I'm still holding on to this. And it allows us to believe, falsely allows us to believe, that we're more righteous than the person we're holding the debt over. We're more righteous and we're more mature than they are. And so we fall into this pattern of getting our sense of self not by the comfort and call of the gospel, but instead we compare ourselves one to another. And Paul strictly, he warned against this. Don't fall into the trap of comparing yourselves one to another because every one of us is different. And every, the stuff that I struggle with, you may not struggle with, but the stuff you struggle with, I could fall prey to. Or I could maybe withstand, or you understand I got mixed up, but... I remember one time we were, uh, we were doing a revival in Las Vegas, and um, the, the, the church put us up into a casino hotel, because every hotel is a casino in Vegas. And uh, I remember, we're, you know, we're unloading and stuff, and, and I have a friend uh, that I grew up with, and I can remember when we turned 18, we, we were adults, we kind of felt this freedom, and the big thing uh, when we turned 18 was to go from the little town we were in or, or the little city we lived in and drive all the way over to Memphis and go to the dog track. I don't know why that became a thing, but it did. So I can remember as a teenager, we went over to the dog, dog track. Since that point, he had struggled with gambling. I went the one time, and I'd never really, it just doesn't appeal to me. There's nothing, it, I don't understand, I can't explain why, I don't understand. Some people can get addicted by some things, some people do not. And I remember, I'm telling that conversation to tell you this conversation. He and I were talking, I, he was like, what are you doing? I was, we're in Vegas, we're about to have this revival, and we're staying in this massive casino. And I was just explaining, you know, sharing with him what all was there, what I was seeing. And he, he basically said, I could never stay there. He's like, I would walk away broke. And he was just admitting his own struggle. And I just thought, you know, I, like this never even crossed my mind to go over and play a slot machine or do anything else. It's not something I struggle with. And there's this pattern that can play out into our life that we fall into if we compare ourselves one to another. Because what I could do is I could look at my friend and say, well, 
No, he struggles with gambling. I'm more righteous than he is. The reality is I'm not. I'm not any more righteous. As a matter of fact, there's a huge misunderstanding in our world because what we think is we think, how, is, how are you've ever had this question asked to you or someone posed this question, how is a righteous, a good God going to judge good people? Because there are good people in this world. There will be good people that will end up going to hell because the question is not judging good over bad. The question is judging righteous with unrighteous. And every one of us is unrighteous. The only thing that can make us righteous is Jesus Christ and the cross and the blood, what was shed for us on Calvary. And the only way to be righteous is for God to mark us with that blood and call us righteous. That's the reality. So the power of debt being held over someone is very alluring because we feel like we can pull out this wrong and say, I'm more righteous than you are. The second thing is debt has with it an identity. Holding on to another person's sin or weakness or failure, it makes us feel that superior to them. Getting hung up on my own words I wrote down. It allows us to believe that we're more righteous and mature. That pattern plays out. The third thing is debt. Debt becomes an entitlement. Because of the other person's wrong against us, he or she owes us. And will carry these wrongs, making us feel deserving and comfortable that we're being self-focused and demanding. After all, I've had to endure in the relationship with you this, this, and this. Don't I deserve this? And so the power of unforgiveness is this trap that every one of us can fall into because as I go through just these first three lists, things in the list, they're all things that I can recognize myself in the past having done. The fourth thing is that debt is a weapon. Debt becomes weaponry. The sins and failures that another has done against us become like this loaded gun that we carry around and we can pull out at any moment. And it's tempting to pull it out when we get angry. And when someone has hurt us in some way, we just pull it out and we throw the hurt right back in their face. How evil and immature they are. The fifth and final thing is that debt puts us in God's position. Notice what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He said, judge not lest you be judged. What is the only person who has a right to judge? God, because he is righteous. Righteous means perfect. His judgment is perfect. And so if we hold on to a debt, then it puts us in God's position because it's the one place that will settle in and will judge a situation when we should not be judging. We're not the judge. He's the judge. But here's the thing about judging. If we sit on the throne and we take the place God was supposed to have, then we're doing the work of the Almighty. And even though he may have something he wants to do, we've removed him from the picture. That's the danger of holding on to the debt because it's so tempting to ascend to God's throne and sit in judgment 
and we don't even realize we've done it. That's the deception of the enemy. We don't realize we've even done it. So not forgiving is a decision that is ultimately led by a selfish lifestyle. And what not forgiving does, it blinds us. We become so focused on the failures of others that we blind ourselves to our own self. Joseph in the Old Testament was a type of Christ. I love the story of Joseph. Just everything that was done to him was heinous, was horrible. And he goes through all of these sufferings, but every suffering he goes through, God just kind of takes it and turns it for Joseph's benefit and for the benefit of Israel. And it just shows you if you trust God, even in the hardest of hard times, if you'll trust God, God can take it and he can turn it. And what the enemy meant for evil, God can bring for good, right? So Joseph goes through this and we get to the end of Joseph's life and he's in a superior position in, his, in the kingdom of Egypt. And his brothers, they come to him and they're asking for food. And in this moment, and I'm not going to go through the whole story, but in this moment, Joseph, he could have pronounced judgment on them. He could have taken back everything he felt like he had been robbed of, his childhood, his relationship with his father and mother, his mother who is dead now. He could have taken all of that back in that single moment and exerted his power and authority over them, and instead he did not. He chose to break and weep and say, I don't hold it against you. What you thought was so wrong, God used for our benefit. Now, have you ever thought about this, that in the midst of his brothers, one of those brothers was named Judah. Judah was the one that saved him from being killed. Judah was the one that, uh, that orchestrated the whole thing. And Judah, if Joseph decides in that moment to exert his authority and his power over them, he kills Judah. He could kill Judah. He could wipe Judah out. But without Judah, there's never going to be a Messiah because the Messiah came out of the tribe of Judah. And so without forgiveness, there is no Savior. Joseph never forgives. We never get a Savior. That's the power of forgiveness. And it's true in our own life that if we don't find a way to wrestle and struggle and get to the point where we say, I forgive, even this deepest, most hurtful thing, I forgive that. It happened. I can't take it back and fix it. I can't exert something over them and make them pay me back. There's nothing they can do that will fix it. I'm just going to have to forgive them. When we forgive them, that's when salvation comes in our own life. Without forgiveness, there is no salvation. I'm going to give you two more examples, and then we're going to end. In Acts chapter 7, verse 57 through 60, we have the stoning of Stephen. And Stephen, Stephen was a, a preacher. You think about Stephen's life. God used Stephen's life briefly, very briefly, for the glory of God. He preaches one message, he gets stoned, and he dies. 
And that's it. That's the whole length of his, uh, his, his time serving the Lord. That's the whole length of his, his ministry. That's it. But we have this story for our benefit, that we trust God even whenever the end is coming. Stephen preaches this message, and they pick up stones to stone him. It says, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and then stoned, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen went beyond forgiveness. Because a lot of times, what do we do? We say, I forgive them, but the Lord, he's got the ultimate call. He'll make it up. He'll judge them. I'm going to let the Lord judge them. I'll forgive him. Stephen said, Lord, I'm forgiving him. Will you forgive them? I want you to forgive them. I don't want you to put this on them. Jesus is my final example. Jesus went beyond forgiveness too. Luke 23, 33 through 35 when they come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Forgive them. I wish I could say that in every situation in my life where I'd been hurt and wronged, that I've gotten to that place where I say, Lord, you forgive them. I may have said it. Said it and not really meant it yet. But I, I want to talk to us seriously that quit holding on to the debt because that person can do nothing to repay you. And they don't even know. If you talk to them, you would be surprised to probably find out they don't even feel like they owe you. And so holding on to that debt, that power that you have over them and those deep-seated hurts, the things that happen in our life, really what we've done is we've put bondage on ourselves, and we stuff that bondage down in the couch cushion of life and we ignore it until we're faced with it and we have to bring it up and we see it for a moment and we push it back down. But there's a power in forgiveness. And there's a salvation in forgiveness and there's a place where you can get in God where you say Lord I don't want you to hold this against them I don't want you to judge them for this there have been a few things in my life that have happened you can stand with me I'm, I'm gonna end quickly the church that I was blessed to grow up in my dad pastored. I watched a few years ago as a guy who came in who didn't have good character, didn't, didn't, 
he was not in my, there I go trying judging. Um, he didn't have good character. And I watched him take something that my parents had spent many years of their lives to build. And I watched him take it and destroy it. And it's a hard thing. It, and I hurt for my parents. I hated it for my parents. They had no control over anything to do anything with it. And they had to watch. And then one of the things that struck me one day was that I watched my church that I grew up in, people that I loved that sowed into my life, that it was taken away. And the church that today, I have friends that they're pastors, they're adults, they've moved away, they have ministries, but they have a church that they say, that was my pastor, that was my church. And I lost that. And it hurt. It really hurt. It still hurts. This is probably two, three-year process. I was so angry and hurt by it. But you know, a couple of years after everything started happening and it blew up, I had really went to God and I would prayed about this man and his family. God, I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want to hate them. I want to get this. It still hurts. It doesn't change the fact that it hurts. God, I, I don't want to keep having to wrestle with this. I don't want to be angry at them. I don't want to hate them. And I kept going to God. I kept going to God. I kept going to God. It was a two, three-year process, and I saw the man at a conference for ministers. We happened to find ourselves in the same place. And I was walking by him in a hallway. And I looked at him, and I called his name, and I waved. And I was not close enough to touch him, hug him, or shake his hand. But whenever I called his name, and it was just without thought, I called his name, and I waved. Here's the guy who destroyed my parents' church that they sowed years into, that he's robbed something from me that was precious to me in my childhood, where I was founded on the Lord and everything else. And I waved at him. And as my hand came down, I realized in that moment, given that guy I'm free I was free from that I wasn't free from the hurt I wasn't free from the thing that I lost because that can never be returned that's not going to happen but I was free forgiving that guy I know he doesn't owe me a debt he doesn't owe me anything I want that man to go to heaven I want him to have all the things that God intends to do and I'm talking this because you, you can't talk about the things that Jesus said and preached and taught without examining yourself and talking about forgiveness. Because every one of us in here, it may have been something that happened in our childhood, it may have been something that happened with a spouse, a marriage that died and ended, it may be something that has happened recently it could be anything but every one of us have something that in the couch cushions of our life we've pushed down there 
And one day we'll be sitting on the couch and we'll reach in and we'll pull it up. Somebody will scream and slap it out of our hands. Maybe. But it'll be there. So this week, I really want to challenge us this week that we would take maybe your morning devotion, your prayer time. You just, you ask the Lord, Lord, what is it? You know the heart. The heart's deceitful above all other. That's what the Bible says. We don't even know our own hearts. The Lord knows our heart. And you ask him, get the boldness and ask him, Lord, Reveal to me that place in my heart that I have some unforgiveness of some person, that I'm holding something and I don't realize I'm holding it. I don't realize it's there. Because I don't want to wake up one day, run into that person or remember that scenario or remember that time and find that I'm a slave trying to hold someone else in slavery with a debt over them. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a minute. Minute, I feel like the Lord wants to talk to us right now. God, you see every person in this room. I pray right now, Lord, that you would help us, God, to search out the deep corners of our heart. Bring to our mind maybe that wrong that someone taken from us something they can never give back Lord help us to start the process today of knowing what it is to be free through forgiveness because we've forgiven others pray it right now in the name of Jesus Christ step away from where you're at you can turn and kneel in your seat just give God an opportunity to move your heart show you the place that you're trying to hold on to the power of that unforgiveness it's not working it doesn't work